Heavenly Father, thank you for being with us. We ask, Lord Jesus, be glorified, be magnified, even through the preaching of your word, Lord. This is your word. We ask for your Holy Spirit to come upon this word. All that has been prepared, I yield it back to you, Lord. Let the anointing come and stir our hearts, Lord. Speak to us, give us wisdom and understanding and revelation. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you a question first. How many of you like to receive rewards? And is that why you're here tonight? I must always title our teachings in a very novel way or creative way. Or when we start to put blessings and rewards, huh? I was hoping that this whole place will be full. We all love rewards, right? And if you think about the world or the society, the system that we engage in, there are different types of rewards. Uh, let's think about school. If you go to school, or when we went to school, you are rewarded for good behavior. You get points if you do your homework well. You can exchange this for presents or toys. Or maybe at work, there are different types of rewards too. Maybe you get a best employee, the staff of the month. You do really well, you hit your target, uh, got more bonus, different kinds of rewards. You may get a day off. Even in shopping centers and restaurants, nowadays so many loyalty programs. Uh, I think your mobile phone might be too full of all the apps from all the different restaurants. That every time you pay or you use the app or you scan something, um, you can chalk up rewards. You, if you buy more, you, if you eat more, if you play more, if you do more, whatever. Lah. If you spend more, you get rewards. Credit cards. Uh, some people are very enticed by all the different credit cards. So they have 20 credit cards because they want the rewards, but they forget that they have to pay the bill after that. You can redeem gifts, you can earn miles, right? And even in the church, we also have rewards. Maybe not in the main service, maybe they should try that. But usually more in the children's ministry, yes? Huh? If you memorize your Bible verses, if you attend regularly, you get stars, you get points. I know my kids are really excited because there will be a time after six months or after a certain time where they have chalked up enough points, they can they, they open up the cupboard and you can exchange points and you can exchange it for toys and games and so on. Isn't it interesting? The world talks about rewards, but the Bible also mentions rewards. Praise the Lord. In fact, Jesus himself mentions rewards. And so this evening, we will be talking a little bit about rewards, but let me again remind you, we are still in Matthew chapter 10. Let me give you an overview because I think the context is important. I don't want you just to look at that one word rewards or receive rewards and think that that's the only thing. Uh, what's the context? Uh, how do we lead even into these couple of verses? So Jesus ends his second sermon or his second discourse in Matthew chapter 10. And he ends with these three verses, but he starts out, he assembles team Jesus and then he sends them out on kingdom assignments. Now, as he does that, he doesn't just push them out and not tell them everything. He briefs them, he gives them instructions, and he prepares them for two possible reactions. One would be reception, right? If you go to a certain place, you go to certain people, and they receive you, they accept you. Then you pronounce peace upon them. You declare shalom. That's a kingdom promise. 
right? So you can proclaim that upon them if they will receive you. But there would also be a possible counter-reaction, the other side, called a rejection. Now, in that case, if they reject you out of their homes or out of their town or out of the city, then what you're supposed to do is you, you shake off the dust. Huh? And they're treated as like Gentiles, as like non-believers. And he didn't stop there talking about rejection. In fact, he elaborates after teaching about rejection. He says, when you face rejection, just chasing you out huh, is the easy part, you know. Because you may face greater rejection by this group of people called or referred to as wolves. Get ready for a more intense level by four particular groups, and we've already gone through all that. Uh, be prepared. It might result in very stiff persecution. Uh, the possibility of death you must also consider. But it's okay. Don't fear them. Fear God because God is the one that you must please. God is the one that will look after you. And then he says, you must be careful how you respond. What would be your response in the face of such things? Would you still confess me? Will you still agree with me? Will you still believe in me? Or will you deny me and have nothing to do with me? Now, you be careful because your response will then determine the consequences. And in our last teaching, we are talking about eternal consequences. And so in the face of these threats and challenges, Jesus then concludes with verses 40 to 42. He sums up, he sort of like goes one big, one big circle, right? He, he, he's talked about all this rejection. Now he comes back to reception and he says, now those who receive you, now those who welcome you when you're on kingdom assignment, those who welcome those who face such challenges, both the one on assignment and the one who supports the one on assignment, they will have rewards. That's where we can say, praise the Lord, hallelujah. You see, if it took me a while before I could come to this one point to you, and would you agree with me that it's important to know the context? Otherwise, you would think the rewards is just there for you to, to grab. You know, anyone can have these rewards. Against the context, you understand this a lot better. And so, thankfully, he talks about rewards. It's a happy ending, praise the Lord. But let's understand what Jesus is really saying. So let's read our passage right now in Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 to 42. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. This word receive, mentioned so many times in this small little passage, and I think there is an emphasis there. What does it mean to receive? If you do a word study and you look at the dictionary, these are the words, to accept an offer deliberately and readily. In other words, you are accepting something or someone, and I like those words, deliberately, readily. It's not like no choice lie, you know, it just so happened. No, no, you, it's deliberate, and you're ready to receive. 
to take to oneself what is presented or brought by others to welcome as a teacher, if it's a person that you're receiving, then you're welcoming someone. There's a hospitality, there's honor. Um, you are welcoming a friend, you're welcoming a guest. Now that we understand what this word means, then we can look at this first verse and to see what Jesus is really saying down here. Let's look at the first part. He who receives you, receives me, receives me. Obviously, Jesus is saying, whoever receives you, receives Jesus. Now, I like these two words, receive Jesus or receiving Jesus. It's a very Christianized phrase, do you realize? When we say receive Jesus, we always think point of salvation, correct? Have you received Jesus? Not wrong, but if you look at the context, by now we have already established through this entire teaching in chapter 10, that confessing Jesus, accepting Him, receiving Him, it's not just about the point of salvation. Accepting Jesus and to receive Jesus is really to receive the King. And when we receive the King, we receive everything about the King. You see, if you go back to the front part of chapter 10 and Jesus sends the team out, the first thing He told them to do was what? Declare, preach the kingdom. You are out on assignment by the king, for the king, and you have to declare the word of the kingdom. And so if you want to receive Jesus, it means to receive and accept the person of Jesus, what he says, and all that he stands for. So don't just think of that Christianized thinking or phrase, receive Jesus. Yeah, I already received Jesus. No, 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 no. Different, huh? This is a different context. It's receiving the entire package. And if you are to receive the king, then the ones that he sends out, these are kingdom ambassadors. They are on mission and they are on assignment for the king. He who receives you, if you are on assignment for Jesus, then you are on a kingdom assignment. And whatever you bring, whatever you say, how, however you communicate, if they receive you as an ambassador, then they receive the king. Now, Jesus was not stating anything new or surprising. Even today, when we understand ambassadors and receiving ambassadors, I think we largely agree that if we receive the ambassador, we receive then the country or the government that the ambassador represents. To the Jews, to receive an envoy or a representative or a messenger was to receive the person who sent them. In fact, the rabbis actually said this, He who shows hospitality to the wise is as if he brought the first fruits of his produce unto God. It's even higher. Uh, it's not just receiving uh, someone who sent you, but it's honoring all the way up to God. He who greets the learned is as if he greeted God. And so to give deference or reference to someone else, to honor, to welcome, to be hospitable to someone is really something that is godly and expected of God's people. But Jesus uses this one phrase. He says, he who receives you receives me. And he goes on. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. Right? So he pushes it one more point, one more step back up there, and he links his authority back to God. And that is his Father, which we've already established. This phrase is also interesting. 
him who sent me. Now, in Matthew, we don't read it many times. But if you look at the Gospel of John, Jesus repeats this one phrase 15 times in the Gospel. The Father has sent me. The Father has sent me. The Father has sent me. And right at the end, the last and the 15th mention, He says, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So can you see? Okay, so in John, it's Father sends me and I send you. In Matthew, is excuse me, you're out there, you're sent by me, and I was sent by Father. You read it this way or you read it the other way, is exactly the same. The chain of command exists. And so to receive a kingdom ambassador is to receive the king himself. And to receive the king is to receive God who is the eternal king. And to do that means to accept his rule and his reign and to live in obedience to his word and also his ways. Let's push it a little bit more. This passage is more than just an act of culture or of hospitality. Now, all those things are important, right? Jesus already said, if they receive you, they honor you, then it's a good thing. And we are told to welcome people and to host in a correct manner. But it's not just a culture of hospitality. It's more than just treating someone to a good meal or making sure that they have a place to rest or a place to sleep. In fact, if you look at these three verses in the context, again, you understand that this describes those who have received the rule and the reign of the king, and you would refer to these people as the kingdom community. This was a word to the community of the king. Why? Because if I receive you and you receive me, then we are receiving Jesus, we're receiving his rule, his reign. We have a common language. We have the same cause, right? We are on the same side. Now, look at the context. Because just before these three verses, we're talking about wolves. We're talking about people who don't care too much about you, who are ready to rip you apart, to kill you, to eat you up, right? And then suddenly, Jesus talks about these last three verses, people who receive you, people who understand you, people who will stand by you. I call this the kingdom community. And he starts to expand this over the next couple of verses, highlighting three groups of people, the prophet, the righteous man, and the little ones. Now, who are these? And what do these refer to? If you read the different commentaries, they will give you different points of view, different perspectives. It's not quite that easy to decipher the meaning or to interpret this. But let's look at the community as represented by these three types of people. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. Let's consider the prophet first. Now, the word prophet is not unfamiliar to us. In fact, we've done an entire teaching on this. When we looked at false prophets, I had to define for you what a real prophet is first. So specifically, in an Old Testament understanding. Now, remember, Jesus never teaches anything new. He extends from the Old Testament into the new. So in the Old Testament, the prophet was the office of one who both foretells as well as foretells. Now, very simply, he is one who hears from God and he declares as directed by the Holy Spirit. But he had a very important function more than just, a, uh, just to be a mouthpiece. 
His function was really to call people back to the ways of God. So if anyone was veering or misaligning, he would say, excuse me, this is what the Lord has said. This is what God is saying to you. Will you come back? Will you turn from that wrong direction? Will you realign? Will you come back on track and get back to God? Now, once you understand the function of a prophet, when we come to the New Testament, it's exactly the same. John the Baptist does exactly the same things. It's always pointing people back to the ways of God. But now there's a person, there's a character in picture that's very, very clear. Jesus. We are pointing back to Jesus and the kingdom. So a prophet is someone who points people to Jesus and his kingdom. Now contextually, since we are reading this in Matthew chapter 10, I would believe that someone who's sent out to declare, anyone who's sent out on kingdom assignment to proclaim the good news of the kingdom would be one who's considered prophetic, don't you think? And he's there, he may not hold, necessarily hold the office of a prophet, but there's a prophetic nature that is there and it's an important task and a function. At the same time, since this person or the prophet is mentioned first, well, possibly... Jesus might be referring to those in some form of spiritual leadership, those with perhaps greater responsibility. Everybody has responsibility, but these who have been set over a community or they've been sent out on a task, they carry a greater responsibility upon themselves. Well, we see this in the New Testament, right? Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4, they are apostles, they are prophets, they are evangelists, they are pastors, and they are teachers. The New Testament expands on some of these titles and positions. There can also be overseers. Today we call them bishops. In those days, there was no such thing as an office of a bishop. Someone who oversees a group of people or believers would be called an overseer. Or elders, the presbyters, right? Uh, these are the ones who have some form of leadership. If you would receive one as such. Now, all these must be contrasted against false prophets, false teachers, false apostles, hirelings versus the real shepherds of God's people. Okay? So this is the first group that is mentioned in these few verses. Let's go to a righteous man. What's a righteous man? In the days of Jesus, I believe the righteous man had some degree of prominence and recognition. We're told in Matthew chapter 23, verse 29, that the Pharisees adorned the monuments of the righteous. In other words, they are prominent enough to have something attributed to them. Like a little hall of fame, huh? or uh, maybe there's a plaque on the wall <laughs> uh, that this guy was a righteous man. But whether they were righteous or not, I'm not really sure. The Pharisees themselves, although they adorned the monuments of the righteous, they themselves did not follow the way of the righteous. In fact, we are told that they appeared righteous, but inside they were full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So clearly Jesus was not referring to someone who just say, I'm righteous, or outwardly I look righteous or I look very spiritual, or I talk every other phrase, God, hallelujah, praise the Lord, uh, Jesus is King, you know, like, not necessarily, right? I may sound righteous, I may look righteous, 
but I may only have a form of godliness, but nothing more than that. So clearly, Jesus is not referring to this kind of a righteous person. Based on that, we can deduce then and infer that a righteous man would be one who really lives righteously. Not only talk, not only look righteous. This person would be openly recognizable, an example of what it means to be a kingdom subject. Why? Because the kingdom is founded and established upon righteousness. Jesus, the king, is the king of righteousness. And so, it's not just doing the right things, saying the right things. It's someone fully submitted to the ways of the kingdom, obeying Jesus and the things of the kingdom. And so, a righteous man would be classified as that, one who is exemplary and someone that we look up to. Now today, of course, it's very easy for us all to declare, I'm righteous in Christ. Is it not? Yeah? And so we're all righteous men and women. Um, yeah, that's nice to proclaim. And it is true, we have all been made righteous in Christ. But I don't think Jesus was referring to imputed righteousness. All right? That's a positional righteousness that you and I have that we can come into the presence of God uh, uh, without shedding a blood sacrifice because Jesus has already done that for us. Okay? So don't get it mixed up there. Why? Why do I say this? In 1 John, 1 John, the Apostle of Love, chapter 3, verse 7, he clarifies, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. It's almost like John might have been having to address a group of Christians who walk around all over the place. I'm righteous in Christ. I'm righteous in Christ. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm the righteousness of God. And I don't have to do anything anymore. I don't have to say anything anymore. I can still do the whatever thing I want. I live any old way I want. And so John had to write this to say, hello, let no one deceive you. Now, these are serious words, huh? Meaning, if you still think that way uh, and live any old how, uh, then you are being deceived, either by yourself or by someone else who is just trying to make you feel good so that you don't feel so bad about yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Positional righteousness positions you to live righteously, that you can now practice righteousness. And the one who really practices righteousness is then showing evidence that he has truly been saved and now he lives righteously for the king of righteousness. I hope you're getting this. When we look at this word, a righteous man, it's not just a title, it's not just a label. It is someone who lives as a good example of righteousness. How about the little ones? Who are the little ones? At a glance, when you read this, it sounds like little children or maybe those who are needy, uh, those who can't fend for themselves because there are other passages that talk about the little children. But here, if you read the context, whoever gives one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, can you see that? It reveals to us that Jesus was talking about disciples. If you receive a disciple, the rabbis would call their disciples little ones. These were the students. These were the rabbis in training, as it were. 
They may mean literally younger disciples or the less matured disciples. But more likely compared to the other categories where you have the, the prophet and you have the righteous man who may be a little bit more known, a little bit more recognized, a little bit more prominent, the little ones might refer to those in the community who are less known or prominent but no less followers of Jesus Christ. So three different categories down here and... Is Jesus trying to draw lines? I don't think so. By the time we finish this teaching, I hope you will agree with me. He's just saying everyone is really included in this whole teaching here. Now, the next phrase is something that we want to focus on. If you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, if you receive a righteous man in the name of a righteous man, and one of these little ones in the name of the disciples, what does this phrase mean? Well, I've quoted from the New King James. If you read from other translations, you have a different translation, an alternative translation that says, because he is a... If you receive a prophet, because he is a prophet. Now, we have to ask ourselves, and let's clarify. Do we receive everyone who claims to be on assignment for Jesus? So someone comes and says, excuse me, I'm prophet so-and-so. Do you immediately drop everything because he says that he is a prophet or he says he's an apostle or someone says he's a righteous man? You've got to be careful. I don't think everyone who says he's a prophet is a prophet. Okay? Or everyone who says he's a teacher is necessarily a correct teacher. And so in the name of means, in other way, to recognize to be true. Now you've got to discern. Is he a prophet? Is he real? Is he righteous? Really? Is he a disciple? Now, I know technically we're all supposed to be disciples, but do we live as disciples? Because he is a prophet, because he's... Meaning to say, is it evident? Can it be seen? Not just because he says he is. Discernment is needed. Jesus had already thought about this. You will know them by their fruit. That's how you've got to observe Okay, maybe first time you get bluff. Okay, never mind. Second time, third time. What's the fruit? We did this teaching previously under the false prophet, Matthew chapter 7. You look at the fruit of the ministry. If this person is in some kind of a big ministry or at least a noticeable ministry. You look at the fruit of character if you have time to interact. Right? At first, you may give the person benefit of the doubt, but if the person comes back and is just trying to pull a fast one every time he or she comes to you, you will know. You can make a decision. How about the fruit of what I call prophetic fulfillment? If the person is a prophet or what they say God has said, is it coming to pass? Right? Anybody can declare prophecy nowadays, right? And no one holds anyone accountable whether a prophecy comes to pass or not. And if it doesn't come to pass, you go back to the person, the person can give you all kinds of reasons and rationale why it happened or why it did not happen. Is the word in line with Scripture? Is he living in accordance with Scripture? Is he consistent with Jesus who is the King? Don't just accept a person or receive a person because you think, I must accept, I just cannot because I get rewards. Don't just receive because you have a desire for rewards. Now, some of you might be saying, oh, I'll never do that. But I will cautiously caution you. In a day of prosperity gospel, you must be careful. 
Because sometimes we will look at a preacher or a speaker and wow, you know, he's promising prosperity. He looks prosperous. Meaning to say, if I receive this prosperous prophet, I myself will receive the reward of prosperity from this prosperous prophet. Are you getting this? Yeah? And so we are receiving for the sake of something else rather than a genuine heart of hospitality to care for the people of God. And so if you judge only in the natural and the material, you can go off. Or if you're only giving or receiving only to be blessed rather than you should be blessed already and that's why you give, whatever the case might be and whatever the outcome might be. You have to be very careful. Do we just receive the big guys and hope for the big stuff? No. For that reason, Jesus starts with the prophets, the righteous men, and even the little ones. My point is that Jesus is saying, inclusive, anyone. I'm just showing you these three different categories, and that is all. Don't dissect it and say, I only give to prophets because these are the big ones. And if I want to give, I must give big things so that my reward will be a big reward. No, no, no. From the finest dining, if you have the meats, then you do that. That's fine. But if not, just a simple cup of cold water would also do. And I believe our Lord was covering a spectrum rather than just giving a detail of say, okay, for this one you give this, huh? for that one you give that. Huh? He wasn't giving you a, a, a... Nowadays you have a marriage register, right? Huh? You can tick off what gift you want to buy. He said, no. Whatever is needed, whoever it might be, if you receive such a person because he is truly someone representing Jesus, then you can expect that you will receive a reward. So let's come to this point, rewards. And thank you for being patient. I know you've been just waiting for us to come to rewards. The word rewards or in the Greek simply just means a wage. In other words, you deserve something. Rewards are not given to people freely. You have to deserve it. You earn a reward. A gift you receive free. Yeah? A reward has to be earned. Something has to be done. And today I like to help people come to an awareness that salvation is a gift, but rewards must be earned. They're two different things. Uh, don't confuse them. Otherwise, you would accuse me of trying to make you work for your salvation, and that is not what I'm trying to do. We are already in the kingdom community, believing in Jesus, accepting everything that He is, and in that sense, we also accept one another in the kingdom community. So what's a prophet's reward? We are told in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 to 12, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And then Jesus makes a reference to prophets. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So in the time of Jesus, prophets were not popular. They were persecuted. They had to exhibit faith through the challenges. They had to hang in there. They had to endure. And when they did that, they are promised a great reward. So what's a prophet's reward for someone who receives a prophet? I believe if you support someone who is facing challenge in ministry, persecuted churches, difficulty, different challenges, 
trying to survive, being oppressed, as you help them through and you stand with them and identify with them, that's what it means to help this prophet out. It's not easy. And you will receive that great reward as the prophet will receive his own great reward. Now, of course, not all prophets will have difficult times and tough times, right? And so we will help them. But I'm trying to help you see that it's not just the good times. The good times where it's easier for all of us to accept that. But I'm saying, do you see someone struggling? Do you see someone in a challenge? These are the ones, perhaps the Lord is saying, look, the wolves are out to get them. They are being rejected. They are being thrown out, you know. Shouldn't you at least help them a little bit down here? What's a righteous man's reward? Psalm 18 verse 20. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, He has recompensed me. This is the Psalm of David. Proverbs 11 verse 18. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. Now, I don't know what these rewards are. All I know is that if you live the ways of the king and his kingdom, you can expect a reward. Some of these rewards can come in this time where you reap the gains uh, or the, the good things that come out of living the principles of the kingdom, but some will come later on in eternity. So what does it mean to receive a righteous man? so that we can also receive a righteous man's reward. Well, for one, simply, let's welcome and honour one who is righteous, who is godly, who is exemplary. This person will be a great mentor, someone you can look up to, and you want to just honour this person. At the same time, as you receive this person, what you're doing is that you're encouraging this person to remain righteous that he or she doesn't have to compromise. Because it's not easy standing righteous in these days. And so if we would encourage someone, even if you just have a coffee with this person, spend a meal, uh, uh, treat a person to this meal, and just say, I'm just blessed by what you're doing. I'm encouraged by your life. Just live righteous for Jesus. And I know it's not easy. Today, if you want to stand up for righteousness and declare righteousness, you can be laughed at. You can be rejected. You can be ostracized. Your friends can unfriend you on Facebook, and I know how terrible that feels. See, the world does not talk righteousness today. The world talks rights. But the way they talk about rights is wrong. But you've got to stand for righteousness, and the moment you stand for that, you can imagine the flag that comes. And so how do you receive a righteous man? Encourage them. Honour them, lift them up, speak a word, pray for them. The third one, the disciples' reward. Mark chapter 10, verses 28 to 31. Peter says to Jesus, See, we have left all and followed you. Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive. A hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, and he adds two words, with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. So the words of Jesus to his disciples is, I know you've given everything. That's a requirement. If you want to follow me, I'm number one. Higher than father, higher than mother, higher than husband, higher than wife, and so on. We covered this the last teaching. 
What do you have? In this life, much of this will be added back to you. But it may not be easy. Some of you will have persecution. But hang in there. It's not about this life. In the next, the age that's to come, eternal life that's going to be there. And so if a disciple forsakes others and all to follow Jesus, great reward. If we help another to follow Jesus, who has given up everything, and really, and there are some who have given up a lot more than others who might have been, who have given up in a material sense, we can help them, right? We can receive them. We can welcome them. We can honor them. We can support them. We can lift them up. We can speak a word. At the same time, we can encourage one another to keep following Jesus. Because when the crunch comes, uh, we have to be ready for an eventuality if it ever comes. When the crunch comes, you look left, you look right, and you don't know who is with you, you know. And you want to be able to know who the disciples are. You want to be able to know who the archipuses are. You want to know who the crazy ones who have followed Jesus, who will stay awake in the line and the sign. Amen? And so we honor one another. We help one another. And some are more mature. Some are the little ones who are younger. And they need help because these are the ones who are more likely to fall away because they don't have enough experience or maybe not enough endurance at that point in time. We look at these rewards. Some will be received today. We can all say amen to that. As we have followed Jesus, don't you think we have reaped some of these good rewards? But it's not all for now because if it's all for now, then when we get there, no more. The real stuff, the, the cool stuff, the happening stuff, the great stuff, it's going to be later. It's going to be for later. It's the eternal rewards that matter. And many always ask when I talk about rewards, what are these rewards? What do you think these are? My answer is simply, I don't know. I don't know. Jesus has the last word. Do you remember this? What reward you get, I get. What you deserve, I deserve. I don't know. Jesus has the last word. All I know is that He is just. And what you finally get will be what you deserve. And what I finally get will also be what I deserve. And so we want to be ready. We want to live in light of that because Revelations chapter 22, verse 12 says, I am coming quickly. Jesus himself declares this My reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. And so if you look at the overview once more, can you see it's about Jesus sending his ambassadors out? There are two possible responses. One is reception, one is rejection. He's already taught us how we are to stand in the face of rejection, how we must respond, hold on to the end, because that is what is going to matter. His final word, he's got to take first place. But right here, this last three verse, he's really looking at this little kingdom community down here, those who will receive one another. Those who will stand with each other. Those who together experience the shalom, even in a time or in a place where it might be very difficult and very dangerous. This is the kingdom community. Let me end with some concluding principles based on this community. What can we see and how can we apply? More broadly, okay, now that we have seen, now that we have studied this passage, I want to extend outwards now these principles. Number one, 
look out for one another. It's not about who is more important or who is less important. It's not about the prophets or the little ones. It's not about who is more anointed, uh, who deserves the first-class treatment, who needs to fly business class. That's not the point. The idea of these three verses is there are those who are prominent, there are those who are less prominent, there are those who are in front, there are those who are unknown, unseen. Everyone is important. So point number one, the principle is this. Kingdom community, let's look out for one another. If you only look out for the important ones, then again, you will result in the popular ones getting bigger, more popular. They get all the funds while the smaller ones are all struggling. You notice this? The big ones get everything. The smaller ones are are scavenging for scraps. And why should it be like that? We should be looking out for one another. The second principle is this. Share the challenges and the risks. To receive one another is also to identify with the challenges and dangers that come with that person who has boldly accepted his or her kingdom assignment for Jesus. Do you understand what this means? If someone has taken a stand and he's getting whacked for it, you might be thinking, should I associate with this guy or not? The moment I associate with this guy, I might get whacked. If you look at my social media and you see that we are friends, then you start to think, what if you come for me after that? So not so straightforward, right? To receive someone is also to identify with everything the person stands for. Because a person stands for everything that Jesus stands for. If the world hated Jesus, the world will hate this person who stands with Jesus. So we must be willing to accept some of these challenges and the risks. We don't take it firsthand because this person is getting the main whacking. But there's every possibility. Let's look at the present LGBT example. Certain pastors are bold and they feel that it is their place to take a stand and to declare and say what needs to be said. Sadly, the kingdom community has not rallied with them. They said, oh yeah, why must like, don't say all these things. Lah. And, and then, there are just so many camps because of all that. But if you want to take a stand, then you take a stand. We've got to share the risk. More recently, there's a new portal that has been launched called True Love Is. And that's championed by this church called 316 Church, headed by Pastor Ian, together with Pastor Norman and his entire church has just come behind this. Love Singapore is supporting them, Focus on the Family is supporting them. And the first church hosted them as they launched them. And the pastor had these words to say. Because he was asked, what if we put all these banners out and put all these posters up and we start to attract all the negative attention? And he said this, I hope I quote it correctly. It's definitely a positive thing, even if I don't get the words correct. He said, look, if I do and you do and everyone does it, then at least not all of them will come to my church and whack me, you see. (laughs) We share the Lord, amen? You see, this is what it means to receive one another, to support each other, to cheer one another on. 
Hey, you want to just share these videos on your Facebook? Huh? It's the easiest thing to do, you know. But to take a stand, it's very different. Number three, close ranks with others. Instead of distancing ourselves from one another, we must close ranks. There's no point talking about unity when we're not willing to receive one another or to stand together. At the end of the day, it's not competition. Kingdom today is collaboration. We have to help each other. Because really, when you look around, there'll come a day where you've got to say, brother, you got me and I got you. This is it. Let's go, man. Let's link arms and let's stand for Jesus. Right? So it's not about competition anymore. It's about collaboration. We have to close ranks. The enemy wants to come in to divide. Sadly, within the church, we are also dividing one another. We have to close ranks. We have to receive one another. Number four, refresh one another. Refreshing, encourage one another. Our willingness to help one another will refresh and encourage each other to keep keeping on for the Lord. Do you know that many are not looking for an expensive meal or a first-class ticket? I'll just tell you this, okay? Many are just simply appreciative if they would just have that cup of cold water. See, the cold water refreshes you on a hot day after you have traveled, after you have run or something. And I believe there are many servants of the Lord, disciples, where they're just pushing and all they need is just a cup of cold water. I think today we can give them an iced cappuccino. We can bless them. We can encourage each other. And I think we, we should do that as we receive one another. Point number five, this is the last one. Everyone receives rewards. Hallelujah to this. Those who work will get rewards. Those who support those who work will get rewards. Everyone has a part to play, whether in front or whether at the back. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 8, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And so whatever you do for the Lord, nothing is missed. Nothing is ignored. But sometimes we don't even realize it. But I believe that if we understand a kingdom assignment, if we understand a kingdom perspective, it helps us focus so that we don't end up doing the things that take us away from what we really need to do. Now, does it mean that some people can just say, okay, okay, you know, um, I don't want to do anything. I just give money here or not. Huh? Easy, I choose the easy one. Huh? Or I just uh, share on Facebook and let others do all the hard works. And finally, I still get the same reward. That's what the verse says, right? And I think if you want to name it and claim it with this verse, huh, I'll leave you to do it because at the end, I still don't know because Jesus has the last word. So don't say, I preached it, huh? I'm reading the word. It does say that. And if you want to take it verbatim, fine. But I still believe Jesus has the last word. Because at the end of the day, it's not what you choose or want to choose. At the end of the day, check your heart. Check your heart. At the end of the day, it's always the heart that Jesus will see. Because on that day, 
nothing will be hidden. Everything will be revealed. See how important it is to read context. So as I conclude, and I bring this teaching to a close, I was just reflecting about this this afternoon. I believe it's so timely that we should study this passage as we prepare to celebrate our Keeper's Awakening's fourth anniversary on 3rd August 2018. And you know this has been a personal kingdom assignment for me. I'm very clear this is my kingdom assignment. But I will also say it has not been easy over these last four and a half years. But let me quickly qualify. No, I have not suffered to the point of persecution. Not even near, anywhere close the possibility of death. Although sometimes it's very hard to get out of the bed. (laughs) I want to say this. I'm very thankful to many, many, countless. And if I try to name them, I think I'll miss names. I won't try to do that right now. But many who have rallied around me, who have supported me, who have cheered me on, encouraged me and refreshed me with their cup of cold water. Some in bigger ways, some in smaller ways. But I want to say this for the record. Thank you. If you're here, thank you. If you're listening to this recording, thank you. If you never hear me say thank you, thank you still, (laughs) whoever you may be. And today's teaching declares that as we all stand together for the name of Jesus and for the cause of the kingdom, we will receive the rewards. And so as we close this teaching, I want to encourage you, and in that I encourage myself also. Let us encourage one another to keep keeping on, confessing Jesus, declaring His kingdom, fulfilling our assignment no matter what. Come what may. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are worthy. You are deserving of all praise, all glory, and all honor. That we get to serve You, Lord. That's our privilege and our honor. And I thank You, Lord, that You have taught us through this chapter that it's not always going to be easy. But You assure us that You will be with us. Not only that, our Father, your Father, watches over all of us. Nothing will happen to us without His knowledge apart from His will. And even if it should affect us physically, Lord, what counts is that which is eternal. And so will you encourage us as we learn to receive and encourage one another. I thank you, Lord, for so many that have blessed me, cheered me on, And Lord, in turn, Lord, I know that they stand with me and I stand with them that one day as we meet with you, we will receive the rewards directly from you. We thank you, Lord. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.